Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editor-in-chief, well, the editorial director. I was demoting myself there. VP editorial director of PR Week. Guiding you gently through another show and uh, really delighted to have our guest this week because it's a woman of distinction, no less. Our 2022 Women of Distinction. It's Rosanna Fisk, who's the global CCO of Royal Caribbean Group. And Rosanna was one of a group of women honored last week at our Women of Distinction ceremony. Fisk is responsible for the company's global communication strategy, including internal communications to more than 80,000 employees. She was also the first Latina CEO and chair of the Public Relations Society of America. Fisk is committed to mentoring and career counseling and has influenced the lives of many students and professionals. Congratulations, Rosanna. Rosanna, welcome to the show. Welcome to the PR Week podcast. Great to have you here. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I'm delighted to be part of this, and uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what kinds of great questions you've got for me today. Yeah, we'll see what we've got in store. And um, as always, I've got my co-host, Frank Washcook here, the uh, executive editor of PR Week. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. I appreciate it. Busy week at PR Towers and uh, gearing up for Cannes next week. So that's going to be fun. First one in person for three years. We'll chat about that a bit later. We'll also talk about Moderna. They've appointed a uh, new global AOR. Edelman, their multicultural practice is growing like Topsy. So we'll find out what that's all about. The Mexican pizza is back. Taco Bell's Mexican pizza, which I'm sure we're all pleased about. We'll talk about the strategy behind that. Finsbury Glover Herring Saad Verbinen has got a shorter name, thank goodness. We will talk about that rebrand and anything else that catches our attention over the next few minutes. But let's start with you, Ro. I'll call you Ro. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. So you started at a cruise company in the middle of COVID as global CCO. How was that? Talk us through it. Great opportunity, but it must have been an interesting time, not just for the industry, but for anyone starting a new job pretty much in the middle of lockdown. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, to your point, it was an interesting time, not just for the industry, but for really anybody making a change, going to an industry that was making zero dollars. Um, <laughs> so no revenues coming in, you know, in complete stopped, complete stop for 16 months, no sailing whatsoever. And so, you know, there was a little bit of, of hesitation, a little bit of uh, feeling scared, but at the same time, we really saw so many changes happen during the pandemic that I thought this is a really great time to make those transformational changes in, you know, in a company and a team. And for me, I love that part of our job. I love change management and really getting uh, to work on exciting new projects and, and piloting a lot of new things that hopefully can help make the communications effort better. Yeah, sure. And you brought a great experience with you because you'd had eight years at Wells Fargo on the client side. You'd had time on the agency side at Republica and Ketchum. And you'd also had time on the academic side at Florida um, International University. So how did you bring all those different skill sets to to bear on this uh, great challenge, but great opportunity at uh, Royal Caribbean? 
You know, I find that because my background really is so varied in so many different settings, it really helps me from a people management perspective. And when you have very diverse teams, when you're part of a global team, you know, we have team members as part of the communications team. We have team members in the UK, in Singapore, in Australia, and so, and actually in other parts of the Americas as well. It's really interesting and really useful to have that background because it really allows you to look at the individual and then how does the individual strengths contribute to the overall team strengths. That really is, as a leader, something that I really work to do and that really motivates me to lead a team based on their strengths individually and collectively. So I hope that with the background that I have, I'm also able to bring really different perspectives forward. And so, yeah, that's where we are. Yeah, you talked about this at the Women of Distinction event, which was a fantastic event last Thursday. And uh, you were on a panel talking about managing during the pandemic and um, dealing with burnout as well. Do you want to talk a bit about your approach to that? Because I was really interested what you had to say there and how you changed your style during COVID in a way that you probably wouldn't have done beforehand, but that, that it's taught us all a lot about management and leadership. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more about the event being just a fantastic event. It was not only wonderful to reconnect with longtime friends and colleagues, but just the the, the aura in the room, the, the feeling in the room was just such a fantastic feeling. So well done, PR Week, and well done to all of you and your team, because it really yeah. felt like it just felt so positive in every way. Um, yeah, it was a great vibe, wasn't it? Really good. I love that event, but it was particularly good this time because we hadn't been in person for so long for that one. So, and, and you know, nothing to do with me. It was all down to the women of PR Week and Haymarket <laughs> Media. So it was, uh, it was terrific. Well, listen, you definitely please convey my kudos to, to all of the team that worked on it. It was uh, definitely well-deserved. And uh, I got to tell you, you're right. The vibe in the room, it was, it was incredibly vibrant. And it, it felt there was this energy that just was felt throughout the whole event. It really did, yeah. Yeah. So to your question about managing through the pandemic and the changes that I've made and so on, I have to tell you that, as you know, in the world that we live in, in communications, being 24-7, and being um, the always on perspective that we that we deal with <laughs> uh, constantly through the pandemic, I realized, okay, we really truly are always on because we're working from home and there was no true disconnect, right? You know, we were working crazy hours, being in touch at all times. And there was not that separation of office and home per se. And one of the things that I, that getting back to the office that I was very conscious of was making sure that not only am I showing people very openly uh, how much I care for them and being way more vulnerable when it comes to, you know, really saying how I feel about things, but also being mindful of when people need a break. And as a leader, I was always very conscious of what projects we had in front of us, what needed to get done, you know, always looking at 
making sure that we're doing top quality work within the deadlines that we have to meet. And um, I'm still looking at that, but I'm also looking at those that are doing the work and being way more observant and conscious of if somebody needs you know, an afternoon off or in, they need a couple of, of mental health break days. And, and I'm the one that's actually trying to, I call it removing the guilt that we all feel because of, of wanting to be on and wanting to be doing right by our clients and our companies all the time. So um, I hope that in, in actually acting in such a way, my team models my behavior and they really are seeing if somebody needs help or somebody needs time off, that they're not gonna feel guilty about it. They're gonna say, go ahead and take that time. I'll follow it up. I, I will pick it up from here. And there's no guilt involved in that process. Yeah, I think you make a brilliant point, and because people have been really, you know, and it's not just been a few months now, has it? It's over two years, and it's continuing to a certain extent, even in a hybrid operation. I think the challenges, and I'd love to get your uh, take on this, is there's so much work to do, isn't there? You know, in all organizations <laughs> of all types, we've had the great resignation, we've got fewer people, we're, most people are hiring. So you've got to try and give people those breaks. But in the context of the fact that they don't just think, well, yeah, I can take that time. But then when I come back, I'll just have, you know, even more to do. And it's getting over that. It's almost like building a bit of resiliency and, and uh, extra space into the organization, which is not difficult. To, and it's not easy to do in the current talent market, is it? It's not, but you also have to think about retention, right? So it's not just hiring yeah. people, but it's also how do I retain the, you know, the the great team that I that I currently have. I, I have a phenomenal team at Royal Caribbean Group, and there isn't a team member that works with me on my team daily that I want to see, you know, I want to see them going somewhere else. I, I'm constantly trying to figure out, okay, I, I have to really demonstrate to them how valued they are, how appreciative I am for their work, for their their expertise, what they contribute to the team and to the company. And I really feel that part of that is, is showing that care and really demonstrating to them that when they're going to go on vacation, you know, we're a vacation companies, so when they're going to go on vacation, yeah. we really want them to go on vacation. Yeah. And, and as PR people, we're usually not very good about doing that. We tend to check our emails even on vacation. So, yeah, same in journalism. It's difficult to switch off. Yeah, I think you right. make a great point there about uh, retention as well. So, uh, it'd be great to see some stats on organizations that act like this versus those that don't and their retention numbers. Just to get back to the industry as a whole, I mean, you said that. That there were no, there was no revenue, but we'd also at the start of the pandemic had these images of cruise ships being sort of set adrift in the sea, and no one would let them back into port, and <laughs> you know with uh, passengers on board, and it seemed like, you know, I was going to say hell on earth, but it's hell on the sea, and <laughs> you've got all those, you've got all those perceptions, haven't you? And and tell us how you've managed to work through that, and where are we now? You know, in terms of the cruise industry, because everyone's trying to get back and have a, a vacation, and um, you know, they're not flying as much. We were talking about loads of cancelled flights just now. So where, where are you at now and how's your messaging now? Sure. Well, I tell you, luckily, I, got, I have to tell you that the Royal Caribbean Group, all of our brands, so Royal Caribbean International, Celebrity Cruises and Silver Sea Cruises, 
yeah, we definitely dealt with, there were several countries that were not letting us enter their ports and return those crew members home. So for us, it wasn't passengers, it was crew members. And there were times when it took us quite a bit of effort to try to get crew members home. But eventually we did, and we tracked all of this on social media, by the way, where, you know, we were returning and today we returned two more crew members to their home and and so on. And we did we did so either by flights or ship. So yeah, that was definitely a challenge. I will tell you the return. We were the very first cruise company to return to sailing in June of 2021. And what we have seen is just a tremendous demand for cruise vacations. Our CEO refers to it as revenge travel, uh, <laughs> but really it's we're seeing something really interesting. And, and just to give you a couple of statistics, we had we have had to date more than two million guests sail on our ships since we returned to sailing. And just this past March, we saw the highest booking day and week for our Royal Caribbean International brand than we have ever had. In the, wow. in the history of the company. So, okay. yeah, so I think that speaks a lot to, to what's happening. A trend that we're seeing as part of the industry is much more multi-generational families looking to make up for lost time during the last two yeah. years. So you see, it's it's not unusual to see families booking three, four, five cabins together. And so that's something that we haven't really seen that much of in the past. And, and we're definitely seeing much more group travel than we have before. So that's, you know, that's good. Yeah, that's good for us as an industry. And we also see that people like uh, the, uh, the opportunity, accessibility and ability to drive, you know, just a little bit to get to their ports. So if you're in, in the West Coast in LA or San Diego, or if you're in Texas and Galveston, Miami, of course, Miami is the cruise capital of the world. But even in the UK, we are sailing out of Southampton, or if you're in Athens, we're sailing out of there. And so there are a lot of opportunities for people to drive to those ports and, and get on a cruise. Yeah, that's interesting about families because a lot of them haven't seen each other for such a long time. Maybe they're just deciding to have a holiday together with a lot of a, a big group and um, and lots of generations. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Well, we wish you well with it, Rosanna, and thanks for talking to us about that. Looking forward to getting your input on some of uh, this week's big news stories, Frank, which starts with really interesting global ARO, AOR. ARO, uh, AOR appointment because, yeah, it's this Dextra unit, isn't it, that's uh, won the business at IPG? Yeah, it's a big account, and it's a big account both in terms of the scale of the account and I think the importance of what they're working on over there. So it's Moderna has appointed Dextra Health as its global AOR. So Dextra, of course, is the network within Interpublic Group that contains its largest PR firms, such as Weber, Shadwick, and Golan. And it also contains, you know, some other events focused and specialized marketing shops. So they're working on corporate communications and promotion of Moderna's uh, technology and vaccines. And this process began in November. It was delayed because of the Omicron variant. And then they started work in March. So the Dextra Health team is led by Laura Schoen, who's the chief healthcare officer at Dextra. 
and they are supporting Moderna on a number of things, more specifically employee engagement, thought leadership, disease awareness, executive visibility, product communications, and that includes communications for SpikeVax, which is the, the brand name of its COVID-19 vaccine. Now, that's been in the news this week because Moderna has a petition to the FDA to expand the use of its vaccine to a younger cohort of consumers. So a big work, I think really interesting and important work for Dextra. And always interested to see if we see more of these accounts going to these cross-agency teams instead of just one firm. Yes, yeah, interesting on a number of levels, isn't it? I think it's probably their first global AOR. Is that, would that be correct? Because they I, for, for Moderna, yeah. Yeah. And um, of course, Andy Polanski, who runs Dextra, is retiring, uh, I think, at the end of this month. So we have been wondering what's going to happen to Dextra, but it seems like there's plenty of fuel in that engine yet with them winning accounts like this. So uh, we'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Rosanna, we've been talking a lot about how every narrative now has a healthcare lens. And I guess that travel, especially, you've got to have some healthcare messaging in there, haven't you? Whether it's you need tests to get on board or you need tests to get back into certain countries, et cetera, et cetera. So the virus and vaccines and booster and communicating around travel and leisure is now a healthcare story as much as anything, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, I was just reading as, as you both were talking about Dextra, I was reading the story in PR week that when uh, when this was announced and I thought to myself um, and this was just yesterday, I thought to myself, this is a really interesting take that they're having this conglomerate of agencies. Right. Um, you know, Dextra representing Weber and Golan and, and Octagon and so on to bring together this message, a, a healthcare message. I don't think you would have seen that before. It, it's quite an interesting take on things. And for us, I mean, listen, we have a chief medical officer, just like yeah. we have a chief financial officer. And um, a lot of our messaging when it comes to whether we're trying to reach our guests or our employees definitely have to go through our chief medical officer. And it's definitely related to healthcare. And I will add one more thing, which you know made me think about this Dextra announcement when I saw that they definitely are doing disease awareness and product communications and some of the things that you would expect, but they're also doing employee engagement and thought leadership. And I'll tell you, the healthcare piece uh, for us has been so important in employee engagement. We actually instituted something internally called, if you can believe it, we had it called Vaccines in 30, and, and it was our chief medical officer, we would do a town hall with him for 30 minutes where people could ask any and all questions regarding vaccines. And we had specialists that came, people like an OBGYN so that we could address women in pregnancy and vaccines. And so it's been a really interesting take on employee engagement that relates to healthcare as well. Yeah, it absolutely has. And um, yeah, nice bit of business uh, for Dextra Health as well. I think it was Andy Polanski who first said that line, which I've reused many times in the last couple of years, that every story will now have a health lens. So yes, he's a very wise person. The industry will miss him, but he's going to enjoy his retirement. He doesn't seem to want to do that farewell podcast, which is a shame, <laughs> but uh, we've been trying and we'll keep trying, Andy. So uh, there you go. Um, we have Edelman, to gang up on him. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I think and he's got a fairly strong character, isn't he? So uh, he'll do what he wants to do. But anyway, we'd love to do a show that, just like we did with Jack Leslie. But uh, let's talk about Edelman uh, Frank. Their multicultural practice has grown a lot in the last two years. And we did a story. Yeah. On that last week. 
Yeah, really interesting story because uh, the number is 68%. So it's up 68% in less than two years. Now, it's a small chunk of revenue, of Edelman's overall revenue. They're on track to amass $8.2 million in revenue by the end of the fiscal year, which again is a gigantic increase. But Edelman at large is likely going to be a billion-dollar agency in terms of annual revenue at that point. But not trying to downplay the significance of this, it's up 68% since its launch in November 2020. And a lot of that comes from a corporate attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion following the murder of George Floyd and other incidents. The practice also helps to support Asian and Pacific Islander, Latino, and LBGTQIA plus demographics. It's up to 25 staffers. That's worked on client campaigns, including Taco Bell, and we'll come back to Taco Bell in a second. And and you just mentioned how a lot of campaigns will have and a lot of work will have a healthcare lens. One thing that this practice worked on was working with the Dallas Regional Chamber to decrease vaccine hesitancy in multicultural communities, helping more than 70% of North Texan adults get vaccinated. So, and that was recognized at our healthcare and pharma comms awards recently. So really impressive work. And, and you know, when we when you talk to folks out there in the industry, especially on the client side, they always tell you how just how much more important multicultural and diversity, equity, and inclusion communications has become over the past couple of years. And so Edelman has really embraced that and um, seeing the results here too. Yeah, that was a great piece of work, actually. And that was, I think it was shortlisted in our main awards as well. So, uh, Rosani, you worked um, in the agency side, you worked for Publica, and and I think they probably position themselves as a general market agency as much as a a multicultural agency, but you've certainly been involved in that scene. What's your take on the way that's developed? And then you've you've got specialist agencies, and then you've got the big mass market firms like the Webbers and the Edelmans who have those practices. Have you got any views on that growth? Well, you know, I find it uh, really interesting that we're seeing this is tremendous growth and and a big shout out to Edelman for really seeing this opportunity, embracing it and doing something really special with it. First, let's say that. Second, it's wonderful to see it amidst a November 2020 launch date. That's just amazing. But I think it also speaks to something that we saw through the pandemic, and that's the importance of communications. You know, it it was more important than ever, and specializing by audience became really important during the pandemic. How the messages were being told, the channels that were being used, who was saying it and all of that. So, you know, everything from when we were dealing with the George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery um, uh, killings to the vaccination need for everyone across the country, you name it, there have been important messages, important channels to consider for multicultural audience, given where we've been the last two years. I'll tell you something really interesting that Edelman has done as well. You asked about whether the boutique shops or the specialized shops versus the bigger agencies. Well, I look at who is part of Edelman now, right? You have Jacqueline Stewart Hawkins, of course. And Edelman recently announced that Oscar Soros is the the president of its New York office now. As you know, Oscar Soros is Hispanic. And then, you know, I also know that they brought in Anna Seppi, who was an SVP with Univision Healthcare specifically, 
for Univision not too long ago. So the fact that they have brought in these key players that are truly, truly just great professionals in their own right, they also have tremendous knowledge in, in multicultural and diversity, equity and inclusion. I think that speaks highly for how this agency, Edelman in particular, is really preparing itself for the future. Yeah, and uh, not to forget Lisa Ross, who's the U.S. CEO. So I think Richard Edelman looked at the agency after the George Floyd situation and, and admitted that they weren't doing well enough. And so he's made yep. moves and actually backed up the words with real action, which I think uh, people who've been following diversity, equity, inclusion over the years have, have always complained about it. Everybody talks about it and then, then nothing ever happens. So Nothing know, ever yeah. happens, right? <laughs> Where do you think we're at on that generally in the industry, Rosanna? Because you've, you know, you've followed it for a long time. Do you think we are making some strides? It feels like we're making, we're not there yet, obviously, but it feels like we are making, seeing some improvements. Yeah, I do think we are. Uh, I mean, I used to be the only person of color in the room in most cases. Now, you know, I, I see two or three of us, which is great to see. And uh, I have to tell you, it really takes the clients and, and the bigger agencies to step up. Edelman being a perfect example, it's really done what it set out to do. And, and, and I really feel that's going to help the agency continue to succeed. My own team, I tell you, I'm constantly looking at where is it that we are lacking representation? I mean, this is our marketplace, right? So how do we represent our consumers, our, our marketplace. And it's so important to have that diversity of thought, um, diversity of, of, of everything, ethnicity, background, religion. And so uh, when you have a global team, I cannot stress enough how important that is to really, to really do the quality work that you need to be doing in communications. Yeah, um, I think the room was really diverse at the Women of Distinction event. That was, to me, that's what led. That was one reason why it was so vibrant and such a great atmosphere in there. Same at Forty Under Forty, and um, I think if those events and, and groups of people are anything to go by, I think we're in a good shape um, without being complacent. Because I do see a lot more diversity, and it just makes the whole the whole industry better. It, it reflects the population. It's just more fun as well, to be quite honest. So, yeah, things have definitely uh, improved and uh, long may that continue. Frank, let's talk about Mexican pizza and Taco Bell. What more could we want for a Thursday? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I find a lot of interesting aspects about this campaign. And our own Diana Bradley talked to the top communications official, Matt Prince over at Taco Bell, who is also the featured guest this week. Shameless plug here for your coffee break interview with him this week. Um, but um, it, it's interesting because he acknowledges that the Mexican pizza item was not exactly flying off the shelves a couple of years ago. It's a very complicated menu item for Taco Bell to stock. And so it, it seemed to be kind of easy to pull off the menu. But, you know, like a lot of things, there was a craving for it when it was gone. And so, uh, for instance, change.org petition was signed by 200,000 plus people asking for Taco Bell to bring back the pizza. And he also talked about how there was a nostalgia for food items and just just kind of this feeling of comfort that was pre-pandemic. And that was another reason they brought it back. Now, they partnered with Doja Cat to officially bring this back at Coachella. And there's a lot of different, you know, general marketing aspects of, of this case study that I think are really interesting, including how they had to 
sort of rearrange how and when they were marketing this to respond to the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And so they paused any and all communications and the musical that they created around it because they wanted to be sensitive to current events. They worked with Edelman, who was their AOR, and Taco Bell saw seven times more conversion and coverage during the product's return campaign than during its removal, and also sevenfold more purchases of the product than when it was last on the menu. So really interesting case study. I think a lot of insights here into how a chain like Taco Bell does things and how thoughtful they are in, uh, it's not just a matter of taking it off the menu and putting it back on. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different elements that go into the decision and then how to market it. Yeah, actually I do recommend that interview because Matt gives a very cogent explanation of how they go about doing this stuff because we all know activating social media-led campaigns can be a tricky path. And uh, he talks through the process. He talks through how they responded to um, incidents and how they tweaked the campaign. It's really interesting. It's great to hear it, someone at the, at the, you know, the sharp end talking about how they do it. And you missed out on a vital point, Frank. Dolly Parton complained about them taking it off the menu. And if you can get Dolly on board, you can pretty much do anything, can't you? Yeah, that's right. No one no one wants to argue with Dolly Parton about <laughs> anything. She is she does seem to be universally right about things. So uh and right I'm again on this. Yes. Well, and anything that Dolly touches, come on. We know it's yeah. gold. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. How do you use social media at Royal Caribbean, Rosanna? Because obviously for a travel and tourism company you know that's the first place people go one to showcase good times but also to showcase you know not so good experiences so you've got to have your ducks in a row from a sort of customer service point of view but also it's a great way to there's great opportunities to promote things if you do it right but if you get it wrong it can really blow up in your face can't it yeah for sure i tell you we use it in interesting ways. So our brands, Royal Caribbean International, Celebrity Cruises, and Silver Sea Cruises, use it much more in individual ways. So really Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, those are really where our brands shine. Why? Because we can provide really beautiful visuals, you know. Uh, yeah, Silver Sea sure. has, fan- yeah, has fantastic photos from everything from its expedition cruises in the Galapagos to the Antarctica expedition cruise. And then you have Royal Caribbean posting everything from the fun water slides on board to Perfect Day at Coco Cay, which is the, the Royal Caribbean private island. And then Celebrity Cruises, which is our new luxury uh, cruise line. We, we put everything on there that's visually pleasing, everything from the Nate Burkus design bar to the very cool, we call them the sunset bars on board to, you know, the very cool interior design of our Eden internal area where you can have just the most wonderful time there is. And so I tell you, from a corporate perspective, we keep it to LinkedIn and Twitter. And that is where you usually find the complaints, believe it or not. That's where you find, you know, everything from um, Twitter, yeah, especially. Exactly. And so we work very closely with our social care team for sure yeah. to address those. Yep. You gotta be uh you gotta be there, you gotta be watching your brand all the time, listening because conversations are going on about it. Frank, Finsbury Glover, Herring, Saad Verbinen, they did need to, lots of uh, mergers and acquisitions there. They did need to simplify that name and they've come up with the new brand. Yes, a lot of last names happening there. Um, now they are just FGS Global. 
and with Jason Miner, a partner at FGS Global, told our reporter Ewan Larkin that it's not just a matter of scaling up. They are building something different than just a gigantic corporate and crisis and stakeholder communication specialist shop. Uh, they want to be able to build something different than they had before. So always always a shop to keep an eye on. Now, here, here's the financials of it, because I think there's uh, still some confusion in the market about it. So WPP, which was the parent of FGH, owns more than 57% of the new business in Golden Gate Capital, which had a 40% stake in SVC, who's retaining a small ownership stake. And nearly 40% of the agency's employees own a piece of the business as well. And that's uh, largely FGH employee shareholders having almost 26%. The combined business as of last October was $917 million. So really, really a powerhouse corporate crisis financial comms specialist firm. Interested to see what else they branch out into now that this rebranding and combination is official. It really will, because and also we say goodbye to some really historic, iconic names, don't we? Finn, yeah. Strad, Babina, yeah. you know, they've kind of disappeared in a bunch, which is a shame, really, in a bunch of uh, initials. But I guess it had to happen. And Herring Schuppner, you know, in Germany, a very, very well-known brand. But, um, yeah, they had to rebrand it, and that's what they've gone for. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how they develop under that new umbrella, as it was. Let's uh, finish with can some of us are lucky enough to be going over there next week for the international festival of creativity where we will uh, be uh, working hard i promise you people think it's a jolly and uh, there's nothing i can say that's going to convince them otherwise but uh, lots of things to look forward to frank yeah i think so so here's a question i have for you and and you'll you'll know the winners before we will here in new york Though we'll be chipping in to help as well, of course. But my question is, do you think that the PR firms are going to do better in the PR category than they have in years past? Because that has been, I remember going to events and, you know, meeting with people in the days and weeks after Can and just this kind of like exasperated looks on their faces about like just, just how dominant the creative shops still were in the PR category. Do you think that's going to change this year or... Maybe she probably don't. Um, I yeah. remember interviewing Stuart Smith, who was chair of jury last time we gathered in person, which was three years ago. And he said, you've got to be in it to win it. And you just it was a numbers game. And you looked at it and the, the, there were many, many, many more entries in the PR lines from creative shops than there were from PR firms. The other side of that coin, of course, was that the PR firms were doing rather well in the non-PR categories. In fact, they were winning, right. um, you know, Grand Prix. So, you know, it's quid pro quo. And the advertising firms were sort of navel-gazing about that. So I don't think it matters too much because what the overall story here is that most of the ideas that win, and it doesn't matter who, what type of agency is responsible for it, revolve around earned media. You know, right, that's where right. the action is now. That's where modern communications and marketing is. So that's good for us because PR pros play in that area. So I don't think it matters that much. And one big change this year is that the Lions, the PR Lions, will be unveiled on Thursday night. So they've been Tuesday night for many years early in the week. And I guess it's a sign of how important PR is becoming that uh, they've moved it right up to the Thursday, which is one of the most high profile nights. So it's, a, it's going to be a different rhythm to the week in terms of we'll have to wait longer to find out. And um, But uh, I suppose that's a good sign too. Rosanna, yeah, is, is Can on your radar? Have you ever been? Do you, do you follow the goings on there? 
Uh, you know, I've been from an advertising side and not from a PR side. And I, I loved Frank's question to you because actually I was going to ask you the same question. Um, I, I've been really curious. And um, I mean, I, I realized that the judges really represent the the global PR and advertising worlds. But I'm, I'm often I'm often thinking that if perhaps these awards lean a little bit more um, on the advertising side, simply because of the history and the foundation, right? So do they tend to be, you know, the creative shops that submit NPR categories, do they tend to come on top because that's, that's like a, a, a bias, an innate bias, you know, to lean in that direction? versus looking at communication strategy or something like that. Anyway, just yeah. I don't I don't know if I'm right or wrong, just curious, really. Yeah, I mean it's look, it's more of a consumer oriented show. Yeah. Um the ad firms, frankly, are, are still better at entering awards and making good good films as part of their entries. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's still a factor. But also, if you look at the Oscars of the PR industry, the PR Week Awards, we've got employee engagement, we've got investor relations, we've got purpose, mm -hmm. we've got crisis. You're not going to see much of that at Cannes, right? That's the right. that's the real hard stuff that you'll know this. Your marketing department's going to run a mile when that stuff comes around. So it's still very much a marketing event, and and that's why I still say that the PR Week Awards are the top of the tree. But still, the Cannes lines are very important. It's important for PR to represent well. And uh, yeah. like I said, I think earned media is at the heart of most of the great ideas. It's really inspiring to see the great work from all around the world as well, because it's truly global. And, you, you know, you see some brilliant campaigns from very surprising parts of the world, different countries. So that's great, too. You always come away energized and we'll we'll be doing lots of content about the best case studies and i always recommend people check those out because it's you can learn a lot and, and utilize some of the great thinking and strategy there another thing i have my eye on is and this has happened in the past and and it's will any agencies get snapped up immediately after can i think we've seen a few examples <laughs> yeah. of that in the past where where a, a firm uh generally a firm from overseas does really well and is almost immediately acquired in the months uh, afterwards, so yeah, I mean, we'll have we'll have an eye on that, and I I have a hunch, and I don't have any inside information here, but it's I have a hunch that you you would see some Ukraine related campaigns do very well, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, there will be some, uh, and there'll be some creatives from Ukraine as well. So that, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, you're right, Frank. It's the biggest career fair in the world. It's also the biggest m <laughs> right. fair. So, you know, you know what yeah. the marketers and communicators are like when they get together. There's some furious networking going on. There may be a glass or two of rosé drunk, but obviously I'll be too busy writing. <laughs> Bringing the PR Week readers the best content, you know? And of course, we'll enjoy observing it from here in a climate-controlled environment as well. So I know you always do, yes. <laughs> um, all right, Rosanna, th thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to chat to you. Congrats on your Women of Distinction Award and uh, continued success at Royal Caribbean. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great fun. Yeah, it's a pleasure to chat to you. Frank, thanks as always. And uh, Yes, thanks for having me on. We'll have a special can podcast next week, so look out for that. But that's all we've got time for. 
We'll so, well just before I go, actually, the Purpose Awards. We've got the first deadline of those coming up, so please get your best work in. Twenty fourth of June for the first deadline. There's an extended deadline, but make sure you've got them going, and that's that will move toward the big event in Chicago, October eleventh and twelfth, which is the PR Decoded Conference over those two days, and the Purpose Awards on the evening of the eleventh. So get that on your radar. But that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.